two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And folks, tonight is a very special episode. Very, very excited for tonight. Uh, we are lucky enough to have a very famous author on the show. Um, he <laughs> just finished his uh, latest piece and he hasn't quite gone on his official press tour yet, but he wanted to give us a sneak peek to the work, talk about his inspiration, talk about, you know, what brought him to this point of, of creating this masterpiece that he has, and maybe get a sneak peek into what's next and, and where we can expect to see uh, this, this finished piece of work. So uh, we're going to get into all of it. So without any further ado, please welcome to the show, give a warm, no outlet welcome to Eric Klinger. Good evening, sir. Good evening, and thank you, Ethan. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Well, we're always interested in the arts and what's new with the arts. And, and uh, when you told me that you just finished a book, I'm like, well, that has to be the next episode of the podcast. So the name of the book is The Long Shadow. And I'm just going to start with the yeah. biggest, broadest question. What can you tell us about The Long Shadow? Well, okay, so the book is really about uh, a teenager who uh, goes to Dartmouth College and he is in his freshman year and his grandfather dies. Mm -hmm. Now, he grew up idolizing his grandfather. So, you know, this is a big loss for him. And it's also a big loss for his father, who is an only child and had kind of a stormy, a little bit of a tempestuous relationship with my grandfather. Okay. So, basically, the son says, hey, dad, don't worry about it. I'm going to go down to New York over Christmas break and I will close down his law office because his grandfather is like this uber successful lawyer, okay. which he thinks is legitimate. Anyway, he starts closing down the office and he starts reviewing the case files and he discovers that his grandfather was actually a mafia lawyer oh. and his one and only client was the Lucchese crime fan. So That'll keep you busy. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So basically his grandfather used aliases in all his case files, which is very unusual, but it indicates to the protagonist whose name is Leo. Uh, Leo computes that his grandfather was a crooked lawyer and he, you know, sees all these aliases and he says, Oh, I wonder who these aliases really belong to. Well, there is a list that deciphers all these aliases. But he doesn't have it. Okay. Okay. So what happens is about three years later, you know, he's in love with his wife. They get married, move to the Upper East Side of New York on East 78th Street, which is where he used to live. Huh. A few coincidences in this book. But basically, the mafia abducts him. And the reason that they abduct him is that they get wind that the FBI wants to talk to Leo about the identities of the true identities of the folks in his grandfather's case files, oh, because shoot. they know that the grandfather was mafia lawyer. And it's only really a surprise that it took three years for them to, to do it. Gotcha. I mean, actually more than that, because my grandfather died in 1988. So this is, you know, 1995 or so. But anyway, so he gets abducted and meets fat Tony, who is, <laughs> who is the construction contractor who worked with my grandfather to get a very lucrative contract to fix the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. Damn. And 
um, you know, it goes into all that and how that works, all the bribes and kickbacks and everything else. But basically, um, this is Fat Tony. Fat Tony is in the Lucchese crime family and basically says, hey, the FBI wants to talk to you. We need to know what you know. And he's like, well, that's easy. I don't know anything. By the way, am I allowed to swear on this, oh, yeah, on this you can, podcast? You can say whatever you'd like, yes. Yep. Okay, okay. So he's like, well, that's cool because I don't know shit, you know? And they're like, well, you know what? We're really happy about that, and we'd really like to believe that. But unfortunately, we need to make sure. And if you do know anything, you know, young, what's unsaid is we're going to kill you. Mm-hmm. So this is like, you know, serious. He's just like, wait a minute, you know? Sure. And he convinces them that they know that he knows nothing because of the aliases in his grandfather's case files. And, you know, he's able to testify to that to the FBI. So he's good with the FBI and as a reward for him being such a stand-up guy, that Tony discloses that his grandfather had a Bahamian bank account that is, you know, got a, a pretty serious amount of money in it. And then they go through how to repatriate it, you know, with the IRS and yep. everything else. And they, they determine that it's best to leave it offshore and just invest it into his hedge fund. Now, Leo is not a hedge fund guy. Leo is a professional guitar player in New York City. His wife happens to work at Goldman Sachs. Okay. Convenient. <laughs> so he's like, so he's like, well, what hedge fund? What are you talking about? They're like, the one you're going to set up. <laughs> so I'll leave it there. I don't want to give away the plot no, too much, shouldn't. but that's basically that's basically as much as I'll tell you, and then it becomes a financial thriller from there. I fucking <laughs> love it already. I love shit like that. I love anything that mixes like financial crimes and uh, the mafia and, uh-huh. and the FBI and, and kind of a mystery and, and kind of going back and finding shit out. I, I love every bit of that. Um, all right. So, yeah, there's a little bit of a forensic element to it, for sure. I love it. That's great. So yeah. uh, so, 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 talk to me about the, the characters here. Um, so, Leo's the main character. He's a guitar player. And who, yeah. when now when you picture, let's just say for a moment that uh, this book takes off in an amazing way and you're able to somehow leverage this into some type of a, a streaming situation where like a six or eight part miniseries or maybe like a long movie on Netflix or something like that. Let's just imagine. Yep. And who do you okay. see playing the lead character Leo um, in, in the long shadow? Me. You would, you would play Leo. I like it. Okay. I mean, I lived it. <laughs> Well, okay, I didn't live all of it, but I lived some of it. Yeah, yeah, no, that, I mean, that's hey. as much as I'll divulge as to what's factual and what's not. No, that's, it's, it's a work of fiction. There you go, there you go. It's and yeah. and and I like the way that you're you're leaving it up to the audience to figure out which part of this is true, which part of it is not true. Um, then let let me go down but, a different yeah. road. Let me ask you some questions about Leo. Uh, does, sure. does Leo happen to enjoy uh, skiing? He loves skiing. He loves skiing. Of course, he does. And I bet he's probably a pretty good golfer. He's a damn good golfer. There you go. Uh, now it's now you said he was married, which is interesting because I would have yeah. definitely guessed that Leo was more of a a ladies' man, bachelor type guy. Um, a devil may care. 
sort of a guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that yeah. was a choice that you made, and, and it must have some, uh, obviously, you Goldman Sachs, if you're talking about a hedge fund, you need some deus ex yeah. machina there to, to make that work. So that's understandable. doesn't mean you can't have a little, you know, fun in addition to your Goldman Sachs employed you know, wife, right? I mean, this is all just fictional. Again, it's not like you're actually cheating yeah. on your wife. It's it's just Leo, so it's okay. Um, no, but here's the thing about Leo. Leo is completely devoted to Heather. So Leo met Heather at Dartmouth, um, falls in love with her immediately. They fall in love. They get married. They're both, you know, fairly well off and um, from the same background. And they're, you know, Leo is just devoted to her because she's so smart. So like that's sort of her differentiator. I mean, he's playing guitar all over the city and you know, there's a lot that comes with that obviously, but he's immune to that because he's completely devoted to his wife. So that's, I don't know that, you know, I just wrote that. I don't know. No, I like that. So the, who, all right. So you'd play Leo. Who would play Heather? Hmm. Well, here's here's the complication. I'm no, ready. here's the complication in answering the question because he meets Heather in 1990, but the the story ends in 2018. Okay, so it's a long, long span of time. Like, I mean, I mean, okay, Katie Holmes would probably be who I would visualize in that role. Well, they, I think that's a great choice because Katie Holmes is an actress that you can, with the right type of makeup and special effects, she can look. 22 and she can also look right 45 or whatever right Uh, right or whatever yeah yeah Yeah. great choice exactly and you know she's also you know tall i'm physically attracted to tall women i mean you know that's who i was visualizing to be perfectly honest sure um i i love that and so you've already mentioned that a piece of this is you know uh, information that you've kind of lived through um, it, it, and it must be interesting to take a core, like a, a slice, like a 10% slice of what your real world experience is and then say, okay, and what if this other 90% was something totally different? Because it, you, that core, that root of truth that you have that, that actually is part mm-hmm. of your life gives you such grounding that if you build yeah. around that truth, it, it enables you to kind of create this, I'm imagining, create this story that can go in a lot of different directions and yet not feel like it's unstable because again, the core of it is, is an actuality. Is that true? Yeah. And that is very perceptive. Yes, that's exactly right. It's like, okay, I lived part of it. It's more than 10%. I'll tell you that, but I lived part of it. Um, you know, the rest, but it is entirely, it's a work of fiction. I mean, you know, I'm not feeling sure. like, you know, getting knocked on my door from like the IRS or the FBI or the mob. <laughs> um, okay. It's fiction. That's okay. Good. It didn't really happen. But I mean, there, there are elements that are true. So you're obviously, I mean, you've been a bit, you've been a very avid reader as long as I've known you. And you've also been a writer for a long sure. time. You also yep. write music. You are a composer. Uh, you know how to read and write music. What do you enjoy doing more? Um, writing, uh, you know, a book or writing a, a piece of music? Oh, wow. I mean, that's such a good question, Ethan. Um, 
you know, I love them both. I, they're just different. It's like, okay, when I compose a piece of music, I enjoy sort of like the visceral thrill of, you know, I, I record it on my loop station and play it back. And I'm like, wow, that's great. You know, um, or I just erase this. It sucks. Right. Whereas when I'm writing prose, I don't know. I, I you know, it's like, yeah, I wrote that. You know, I did some writing when I was, when I was younger, but I mean, it's like, I don't know. I just, it, 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 the book wrote itself. I mean, it was just like, I just found myself captivated by it and just dug into it. And I, I'm really happy with the result. That's really cool. And uh, what yeah. was the uh, book great for 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 a set of context <laughs> for for everybody listening? What was the last book that you've that you've read? Last book that I read that what did I just finish? Um, no, it was that one. I think the last book that I read was Damien Omen Two. Are and I just serious? finished that. Yes. And now I'm reading Storm by Caroline Harris, by Caroline Harris, Better Life with Fleetwood Mac. Oh, that sounds fucking I, I mean, I have like, I, I'm reading all the time. I mean, I have a book that I'm reading. Didn't you read Damien Omen 2 years ago? No, I, I read the first one. I've never read the second one. Oh, the other book that I read recently was the unauthorized um, Bourdain biography, which oh, is excellent. Yes, yes, yes. Actually, I meant to pick that up. Really, really good. Yeah, he was um, he, he was quite the person. Um, so yeah, so- I mean, the fact that CNN is trying to like quash the publication, everything lets you know it's true because, of course, CNN has vested interest in you know in keeping the the gravy train going from yeah. all the. Bourdain reruns, and I mean the book really kind of poke holes in the pokes holes in the Bourdain myth. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And CNN, they're they're they've got their own fair share of problems right now, so I'm sure they're trying to minimize any other damage that uh, that might be done. Yep. Um, so, so you got books going all the time. Is there a writer uh, at any point in time in your life a writer <coughs> that was the most influential to you, like someone that you were like, okay? I dig this right here. I dig his style. I like the way he, he yeah. speaks. G- give me a couple names that have been influential to you in terms of the way you now write. Um, sure. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald is the best writer of all time mm. from, from my perspective. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Tom Wolfe. Um, you know, I've written, I've read all the Russian guys, Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and, you know, Nabokov and, various people. Um, but F. Scott and Tom Wolf were my two. Nice. Do you remember when they tried to uh, make a movie out of Bonfire of the Vanities? Sure. You remember that, did you did you that was what a shit show that was. I, I was gonna say, I mean for somebody who, who counts him as one of your favorite authors, you must have been appalled. Um, it didn't, it didn't I, I was I mean that book was just so good too. I mean, it, the movie was terrible, but the book was fabulous. And A Man in Full by Tom Wolfe is just a tour de force. So this is a perfect question with that as the backdrop. Can you give me an example? Because look, there are a lot of examples of really great books that have been made into shit movies, but there are also yeah. examples of people that have taken a book and turned it into an exceptional movie. So give me a couple right, of like examples. Marathon Man would be one. There you go. What's another one? Yeah, Marathon Man, Jaws. I mean, mm. yeah. 
Jaws is another good one too. I think I, they're a little oh. bit cheesy and and you know they're they're kind of lower brow. But some of the John Grisham books were really good, and some of the movies were oh, sure. I mean, like The Firm, and that's right. Was yeah, that was John Grisham, and then like um, Scott Thoreau had one. You know, I mean, those guys write their books to be made into movies. I mean, another example of that, although I don't think this was his intent, but the guy who wrote The Omen, I mean, that's a terrific book. Yeah, yeah. They got made into a terrific movie. So are, now, in all seriousness, uh, are you thinking, did you, as you were writing this, think to yourself, okay, because there are so many more. Think about what it was like 30 years ago to try to get something made. Like if you wanted to make a TV show or a movie 30 years ago, you really had to have connections. You really had to have mm-hmm. deep pockets. You really had to have a lot of things set up. It's not like that anymore. Now there are so many different streaming platforms and so many different places to, to put content that there's almost a, a deficit of content needed for all the places that people are trying to watch it. So with that in mind, mm-hmm. have you have you given any serious thought to the idea of taking this and turning it into something more than just a book? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be a great movie. I like it. Or a great series or whatever. I mean, I haven't really gone down that road. I have a couple of agents that want to talk to me about it. And that's kind of where I'm starting. I mean, you know, as a first-time author, it's like, you know, you, you put it out there on Amazon, you see what the numbers are. And then, you know, unfortunately, you'll make mm-hmm. most of the money on the come. And then your next book will command a higher advance. But the problem is after having written this book, you know, this is it. I'm one and done. I can imagine writing another book. Right, right. I mean it's a lot of work and to do it right. It's not something you just, you know Well, you know, this one just flowed. This one just, you know, basically wrote itself. I gave myself four months to write it. Wow. And I wrote it in two weeks. I mean, I, I just became obsessed and slept like five hours a night and just cranked it out. And um, loved it. Loved every minute of it. It was really, really fun. But, you know, I, I, I'm pretty ignorant as to the process. I have a lot to learn about how the game works, you know, but the product has to be good. I mean, and I think it is. There you go. So uh, a few more questions about our friend Leo here. Um, what is sure. his uh, – everybody's got a vice, right? Whether vice mm-hmm. your vice is a Snickers bar or it's a TV show or it's, you know, texting and driving or it's, you know, something harder, you know, some kind of substance. What is Leo's vice of choice? What is Leo's vice of choice? I would say weed. Okay. His vice of choice. Yep. His wife is a chain smoker. That's her vice of, of choice. Interesting. Um, you know, I mean, Leo's, we don't really explore Leo's vices all that much. It's kind of more like, what is his tragic flaw? And the tragic flaw is, you know, throughout the book, I create the tension around the central question of how far are you willing to go to really get what you want? Mm. You know, in the context of looking at his grandfather and saying, yeah, he got the world, but he completely had to give up his ethics and his soul to do it. And it's like, okay, you know, Leo asked himself internally at various points in the book, like, sort of like, what choices am I making? And am I living up to my grandfather's legacy? And do I want to? Right. 
And that, you know, that resolves itself throughout the, the book isn't two books, book one, book two, book one, I just kind of sketched out for you. Book two, I'm not going to sketch out for you, but really book two is where you really start seeing, you know, that character change and evolve to where, you know, they're really coming up against the boundary of, Hey, wait a minute. Am I willing to give up my whole life? Right. You know, is, I mean, basically just high level, he starts running a hedge fund with Lucchese fortune and, you know, he tries to end it and be like, Hey, we're quits. And they're like, the fuck we are, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And he just realizes like, I'm never getting out. I mean, the only way to get out is death. I mean, once you know a certain amount, you, there's no retirement right? when you're dealing with this guy. You're going to die. I mean, as soon as you're expendable, they're going to dangle you upside down off a bridge. Right. It's just going to happen. <laughs> right. So therefore, you better have something better. You better have something in your back pocket that you can use to, as a bargaining chip so that you can, you know, not have to worry about that. And of course, you know, a big part of when Tony was like, well, you know, I'd really like to believe that that list of aliases doesn't exist. <clears throat> well, he says, for one thing, I knew your grandfather well enough to know that he would have kept a copy of that list with somebody and, you know, basically if anything happens to me, right. this gets exposed. And that was his, I mean, my grandfather died suddenly and unexpectedly at 84, but I mean, you know, that was his plan. Hey, if I'm ever expendable, I'm going to use this to bargain for my life and for the safety of my family. He had a fulcrum. He had a what? He had a fulcrum. He had some leverage. Mm-hmm. Right. He had le- that's right. He had some leverage. He had a leverage. Um, so you, you, it's interesting. As I'm, I'm taking notes, as I'm listening to you, and, and one thought that keeps popping back into my head is, would you rather be on the shit end of the stick with the FBI um, and the full force that the FBI can employ, or would you rather be on the short end of the stick of the Lucchese crime family? And for me, that's an easy well, I think, answer. I mean, that question is obvious. I mean, you know, <laughs> rather be on the short end of the stick of the FBI. Right. It's better to go to jail than to have to watch your back. Well, right. I mean, exactly. if you think someone's going to kill you, I mean, to me, that's, that's an obvious answer. And I mean, you know, he, the character consciously makes that choice during the book. Now, it, was it Fat Tony Salerno? Is that his name? Is that a, is that a real person? No, it's, no, it's not Salerno. It's just Fat Tony. I got you. Just Fat Tony. Got it. Yeah, it's it's not meant to be anybody. Specific. You know, a real person. Yep, just a generic yeah. mob guy. Yeah, I mean, I guess I used maybe like Jimmy the Gent a little bit. You yeah. know, the guy who uh, heisted uh, the Lufthansa. Yeah, well, he was in good show. Yeah. So yeah, everybody knows about Jimmy the Gent. So. Well, actually, people don't know that Robert De Niro's character was based on Jimmy the Jet. I mean, he was named Jimmy, but it wasn't, you know, hey, you're Jimmy Burke. Well, you know what? Actually, I don't know that. I guess I probably have to watch the movie again. Well, so I think that people, like, I'm a Goodfellas (laughs) freak. I've seen that movie probably 20 times, and I've read, you know, books on it. What a movie, right? Oh, my God, amazing. So awesome. the, 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 The novel, you know, about the story first. So I knew who he was yeah. because of that. But I bet now that you're saying that out loud, I bet if you just watched Goodfellas for the first time, you might not necessarily, you know, connect the dots. I mean, it's such a crazy story that you wouldn't even think it's real, but it, it's all true. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that Lufthansa heist was a big deal. 
Lots so, I mean, maybe I had Jimmy, maybe a, probably a common, he's, in fact, only it's probably a combination like Jimmy the Gent Burke and Whitey Bulger, who, by the way, used to live up the block. I know. Isn't that nuts? He I mean, was on Montana and Third, man. That's probably a five minute walk from my apartment. And he just, I mean, that was hiding in plain sight. For the longest time, he just looked like every other retired 80 year old dude with, you know, no hair. Well, you know how he got busted. You know how I got busted. I actually don't so, remember. So he forbade his girlfriend to use a credit card. Okay. He only used cash. Yeah. And he had cash stuffed into his walls. He had holes in his walls that he used, that he filled with cash. Sure. That was his money. And so one day, his girlfriend, like, gets a facial at a spa and uses a credit card number. Oh, no. Boom. See ya. And, you know, I mean, Jimmy, uh, um, no, Whitey died in prison. They sliced his tongue out. So, mm. snitches wind up in ditches. You know what? It seems to be the case. Um, what was Leo's favorite musical group? Wow, what a question. Okay, so Leo's a professional bossa nova guitar player ah. in New York. So he loves Brazilian music. Of course, I am also a bossa nova specialist. So <laughs> Leo could be based on me just a little bit. And, yeah. but it doesn't really go into what his favorite band is, but I would say that his favorite band would probably be like Oasis. Okay. Yep. Because, yep. you know, it's, he's 25 and like 1995 and the world's his oyster and he's rich as hell. And he's, you know, the champagne supernova in the sky, baby. That's right. That's right. Um, all right, so if I were to Where have, were you while we were getting high? <laughs> I was in the other Where room. Where were you? While um, we getting high. Okay. No, no, no. I, I, look, there's no way to hide passion for music, and, and you are clearly passionate sure. about the band Oasis, and it's funny because y- you you returned me on to that band because when they were out, when they were getting oh, yeah. huge back then, I was like, okay, they're good, but I wasn't like into them into them like you were and then you you know you're such a a, a music file that when you were so into them i'm like i gotta check them out one more time so i went back to the beginning and listened to yeah. you know all the earlier stuff and then into it and i'm just like wow it's like <laughs> these two knucklehead brothers from manchester can really write the yeah. shit out of music right i mean they just there's so, a lot they right? that band is they're the last rock stars they're the last real rock stars that's interesting. And, you know, by the way, Familiar to Millions, which is their live album in Wembley in 2000, is Kiss. And, you you know, that, I think that's one of the best live albums I've ever heard. I mean, just in terms of the sound, and you really hear what makes the Oasis special, which is like that wall of rhythm guitar. Mm-hmm. You know, the solos are besides the point. And I just love the way, I, I mean, a lot of people didn't necessarily appreciate their live show, but... I love the way that they just stood there and fucking played their ass off. There was no jumping around. There was no theatrics. No. There was no Mick Jagger bullshit. It was just like, we're going to play this no. music and you're going to pay attention to the music. Uh, and I, I personally, well, like you know that. what? Well, they were, they modeled it on, you know, they're like, we want to make our concerts like European soccer matches, like European football. So yep. what that means is, you know, if you listen to the crowd at like Premier League game, they're kind of like entertaining themselves. Absolutely. You know, they're doing their, their chants and their drum beats and they're just having a good time. 
And Noel was like, that's, that's why I want our concerts to be. We're not going to jump around and do like synchronized dance moves. Right. We're just going to play the music and the crowd entertains itself. Although I think that particularly Liam is entertaining as hell. Yeah. He's a great interview too. And I mean, I've Noel's heard. got that dry, Noel's got that dry sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever heard uh, Liam when he was interviewed by Howard Stern? No. Oh, um, now that you're saying that, I'll look that up. Yeah, you got to check it out. I mean, he first of all, he, talk about. I mean, this guy has done a lot of abuse to his body, but he is still sharp as a tack. He's right there. He looks to be in surprisingly good physical condition, um, even though he's like you know basically cigarettes and booze. But um, he he he's also a very funny, smart cat, like street smarts. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. one of the oh, yeah. more I- enjoyable. I'm not a huge Howard Stern fan, but I do think he's had some really good interviews, and and Liam is is one of them. Um, yeah, what, I'll check that out. Yeah, what kind Google. of car does uh, Leo drive? Leo drives a BMW M5, which he parks at a garage on 69th Street for the princely monthly sum of four hundred dollars. <laughs> I love that specific detail. That's great. That well, that those details are in the book. Yeah, no, I'm I'm sure that they are. I, I think that's great. That's so, great. yeah, I just recited it from the book. There you go. Um, now, yeah. if I had Leo in front of me right now, let's just suspend disbelief and let's say I can pull Leo out of the book and I can put him right into in the studio here and I can ask him a question. Well, you essentially do. <laughs> you essentially do. I'm Leo. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Well, I know I'm trying. I'm trying to leave a little bit of the character. Ambiguity. You know, well, I'm just trying to separate you as much as you'd like to be separated from it. That's all. But let's just say sure. that that Leo were here, and I asked Leo the question: Are we living in a simulation? What would Leo say? Yes, we are. See? That's what he would say. He, he would say, "Look, this world is impermanent. We live once." And in relative to the question that I posed earlier, which is how far would you go? Like, what would you give up? Right. You know, he's like, fuck it. I'll give up everything. Like, what's the difference? We're, we're only going to live one time. Yep. I mean, you know, why be a hero, you know, in this world? Like, why, you know, be idealistic and moral about it? Fuck it. Just make money and live life. There you go. Words of wisdom from Lee. And that embodies my personal. See? <laughs> Not, not surprisingly. Um, okay, yeah, so right. talk to me about timelines. So I, I believe that you finished your draft. What's the next step? Do you have yeah. an editor? Do you have someone that goes through it? Do you like what's the process to get this into a, a form where somebody could then purchase and read this book? Um, well, I have a couple of friends who are published authors who will show it to their agent, and then. Um, depending on how quickly that happens and like the feedback that I get, I mean, the draft is only 120 pages, so it would need to be built out a little bit, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I'd definitely like to see it on Amazon and see what kind of numbers it does. I mean, it has to have some kind of promotion behind it, obviously, so that people are aware of it, but I mean, it's like, it's got everything. See, you I, know, it's got the motion. I the love financial it. Thriller. I love the concept of it, especially now, because today it's like everything's fucking, you know, I I don't want to generalize, but there are a lot of things that are out of order right now. And it just seems like there's a lot of things that are stressful and always something new to worry about, much more so than it seems ever before. 
So escapism in a way that's not harmful is such a, a, such a useful a way to spend time. And, and books and, and TV shows are, are like that. And I think books are something that, um, you know, have been to a certain extent overlooked. But I've started getting back into reading books. Uh, when I drive, I only listen to books on tape because I was, you know, having a real problem texting and driving. So I just put on a book on tape and put my phone in the back and don't even think about it. But I love the I yeah. love the escapism in this, in that there's, you know, it's like it's not quite a you know when you were talking about this book to me earlier, my first thought was oh it's going to be maybe like a giant James Bond type novel, and it's not really. It's more no. it's more of an everyday every situation like a, a man who didn't f- expect to find himself in this situation has now found himself right. in this situation, and it's true escapism. Precisely. Um, and, and so I think that from a topical perspective and from like a conceptual, uh, perspective, I think you're right on the money with what people would want to, no one wants to read about how there's going to be a contagion. No one wants to read about how there's going to be a war. No one wants to read about that now because that's fucking all over the news right. already. People want to hear about right. it. Imminent. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right? So, it's already evident. What the hell do you want to read about it for? Exactly. People want to read about something that is kind of fun and takes them, literally takes them away. Like, <laughs> that's, that's what I used to love about books, you know, when we were younger and we're reading books. It was like anything that can be like a story that is not something that you can live or even grasp or, 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 or conceptualize on your own. If a book can take right. you there, that's a book that's worth reading. So I'm I'm excited about reading it myself. Uh, I'm looking forward to. Good. Seeing well, it I'll send it to you right after this. I'll email it to you right after this. That's amazing. Um, so you, yeah. you've got you've got a full uh, crowd of people here in the studio. They're all um, doing the wave. They're, they're they're cheering. They've got big, huge flags, just like you talked about British soccer banners. They've got big, huge banners with your face and, and, uh, Leo number one. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to say about this particular piece or, or anything else that you think is important to convey to the no outlet listener out there? Yeah. Um, well, you were mentioning James Bond. I never really considered it or conceptualized it as a James Bond book, nor did I conceptualize it as like a Godfather reference or anything like that. Um, but food for thought is the fact that my favorite James Bond movie is on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is the only uh, Bond movie where James Bond falls in love. And ah. it doesn't have you know, all the scantily clad women. I mean, not that I have anything against scantily clad women, of course. You know. <laughs> Notes for the upcoming promotional tour. Okay? <clears throat> but I found the movie to be charming because James Bond meets Diana Rigg, who's the smoke show. And um, he, you know, he falls in love. And, and I thought that that story was really cool for that reason. I think that's what differentiates that movie. And that's maybe, I don't know, maybe that's why I wrote about this guy's relationship with his wife and how much he loved his wife. And um, so that element, I think, is pretty cool. And uh, I've also met George Lazenby, who played James Bond. We go to the same watering hole here in Santa Monica. And I've had the pleasure of discussing, you know, the role with him at length and his behind the scenes relationship with Diana Rigg and blah, blah, blah. I don't want to over disclose, but 
I mean, they're, let's just say that their on-screen affair, you know, was very much paralleled off-screen. Okay, let's. we and, got to go slow because you're saying some pretty incredible things here. So first of all, for those of you who don't know, that was the movie where he, that was the one and only time that he played James Bond. Is that correct? Yeah, that yes. is correct. Yep. And, and they offered him eight more movies and he turned it down. Wow. It, that's pretty yeah. wild. And, and you're telling me Well, that- because he wanted to do, he was friends with Bruce Lee, and he and Bruce Lee wanted to do like actual street fighting movies together. There was only one problem, and then it's Bruce Lee dropped dead. No fucking way. He was way. really, he was really excited with Bruce Lee. And in fact, for those who don't know, George Lazenby's screen test, um, Albert Broccoli told him, hey, you know, come back tomorrow for your final screen test, and we're going to have you fight one of the stuntmen, like bare knuckle, real fight. Whoa. Lazenby was like, fine, stepped up to the guy and knocked him out in like two seconds. So, I mean, Lazenby was a street fighter. He was legit. Yeah, he was totally legit. And I'll yep. tell you what, <clears throat> he's 80 years old and I still wouldn't talk with him. <laughs> I, mean, I would not mess with George Lazenby. Okay, so you got to look like a powerhouse. You gotta, he knows how to fight. You got to paint this picture for me. So, you, you go to your local watering hole and do you see this guy and say, holy shit, that's James Bond? Oh, God, no. I see George. No, I see George all the time. I, I mean, I was like, "Hey, George, how are you?" Right, but hey, the, I'm saying like hey, the very first, hey, the very, <laughs> the very first time that you see this cat, like, what do you yeah. do? You walk up to him and say, "I fucking loved you." No, and, no, no. Okay, so how does it work? No, no, no. He's he's uh, he's a little bit intimidating, especially when you drink. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I he'd seen me around, and we had mutual friends. So it wasn't even like and that. It wasn't he knew like that, that, like, no, nah. it was like we were just drinking together. It wasn't like. Oh my God, you're George Lazenby. I'm like, yeah, I know you're George Lazenby. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. That's, a, you know, that's kind of LA. I mean, celebrities are among us all the time. I, right. I don't really make a big deal. Well, you can't, because especially in do. Santa Monica, because this is where they all live. Right. Well, and, they all live here or Malibu or, you know, whatever. And the minute you start making a big deal about the fact that they are who they are, no, they get very uncomfortable. Well, that's it. It's over. Yeah, right. Then you're a fan. Yeah. And they're like, uh, thank you very much. Get away from me. That's interesting. Then you're a fan, not a person. Wow. Right. Yeah, yeah. you just treat them like a regular person. Hey, how are you? You know, sometimes right. I'll get, I have gotten, do you know who I am? <laughs> right, right, right. Actually, there's a there's a good story. I don't know if you have time, but basically, yes. I was at another local watering hole called R&D on Montana, and I got the, do you know who I am routine? And I'm like, you know, no, I have no idea who you are. And the guy was Boz Skaggs. And I'm like, oh, Boz, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I know who you are. We had a nice chat. He bought me a a drink or so. Boz Skaggs. Yeah, he was like, um, he was like, you know, who's your, oh, you're a guitar player. Oh, cool. Who's your favorite guitar player? And I'm like, well, see, I know who plays with Boz. Uh huh. And I'm like, "Uh, Steve Lukather from Toto. He's like, Steve Lukather is my best friend. So he FaceTimed Steve. And like, Get Steve, I got someone you're going to meet you. And I'm like, oh, my God, no. Steve, by the way, is the nicest, sweetest guy. I mean, he's like, oh, hey, man, cool. And then he started getting boss shit because boss was wasted. Wow. Funny. Toto, <laughs> Africa. Um, well, actually, Lucas is like, yeah, I don't make any money on that song. 
I guess he didn't get a writing credit. I mean, I'm like, how does Steve Lucas or not get a writing credit like on a Toto song? But wow. Amazing. Bonus, bonus content, yeah. folks. Uh, bonus you're learning, content. You're learning all about the music industry and what it's like to be amongst the stars in California. Whitey Bulger, right, James Bond. Boz Skaggs, they're all over there. He, he's a renaissance man. Anyway. No, I dig it. I dig it. Uh, he, he can do it all, and he's written a book, and I highly encourage all of you to go out there and, and ask for it. Go to your local bookstore. Ask people, where do I find ask Amazon. Long Shadow? Ask Amazon. Ask Amazon. Where do I find the long shadow? If you've got a blog, go post it on your blog. Um, ask about it. I can't wait to read it. And when I do, I'll put a full review up it uh, of it up on uh, the, the website and the podcast. Uh, Eric, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking time and talking Likewise. about it. I am actually sincerely looking forward to reading this. I didn't know what the book was about. Now I do. It's right up my alley. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen The right. Accountant. Have you ever seen that? Um, that movie? Yeah, with- it's, it's with uh, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yes. Well, that was about Meyer Lansky, who, you know, interestingly enough, there are parallels between between the grandfather character. I was about to say my grandfather, but that would be getting too much away. No, no. Um, the grandfather character and Meyer Lansky, and that they were both Jewish, and therefore they couldn't be made because they weren't Italian. That's right. But the mafia used Jewish accountants and lawyers all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, and they never got made and like very few guys really made it to the level of influence that the grandfather character achieves. And in the book, he's sort of like, well, he's not quite Meyer Lansky, but he's really close. Wow. So cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again for coming on. You've got a bunch of new fans here for sure. And um, love I, the fans. I appreciate it. Love, 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 love. <laughs> I appreciate it. Writing has been very good to me. Folks, he loves the spotlight. He loves the spotlight. Give it all to him. Eric, thanks again for coming on. Hope you have a great night. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Ethan. All right, man. Take care.